0: You're listening to Token Talks, brought to you by Wing Venture Capital. I'm your host, Zach DeWitt.
1: The code can be open, users don't need to be locked in, and rather you can focus on your slice of value and of the stack and building that one protocol really well so that the reason that people choose to use it is not because they're locked in, but rather because. You've basically designed a crypto-economic system that perfectly balances the interests of all of its participants.
0: Today, we're joined by Yaniv Tal, founder and CEO of The Graph. Getting data off blockchains is hard, so The Graph is developing a platform for scalable blockchain queries. Decentralized applications need a way to get and transform data from underlying data sources. IPFS provides cheap storage and Ethereum enables atomic transactions, but data is rarely stored in a format that developers consume directly in their applications. In today's blockchains, a question like, who owns land in my VR game and how much should they pay for that land, is difficult to answer. So the graph both makes querying easier and ensures that data remains open and live. I think you will greatly enjoy today's episode, as middleware is an important component of the decentralized stack, and Yanev is a talented engineer and thought leader who previously worked at MuleSoft before founding The Graph. Welcome. Please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Yaniv Tal. I'm the project lead at The Graph. And Yanev, what were you doing prior to
1: a career in crypto? I've been focusing on developer tools for probably the last... Five years of of, of my life. Uh, seven years in startups. So I've done three startups. I was working at MuleSoft, which does API developer tools for enterprise, and most recently working on a startup called Workflow, which is building tools for building uh, React component
0: libraries. And how did you get into crypto? What what brought you into this space?
1: Got got into Ethereum in early 2017. And uh, what really attracted me to it was I'd been doing a bunch of functional programming on you know, my previous startups, and uh, really started to understand the benefit of building on immutable data and deterministic, just you know functional programming principles. And uh, when I saw Ethereum, it just immediately clicked as being a much more just stable and solid foundation for building software on top of this like global immutable ledger.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting to talk to entrepreneurs and ask that question. Some got in at Bitcoin and that's really shaped the way they're, what they're building and what they're working on. Some some came in because of Ethereum and that really shaped what they're working on. Yeah, so- and, and I was interested in Bitcoin back in like 2011, but I think I, I
1: was swayed probably by like, you know, some of the maybe negative press angle on, you know, all the dark market stuff. And, and I think realizing that it wasn't super programmable, I think uh, seemed like a pretty fundamental limitation. So I remember thinking a lot about, like how great it would be to have programmable money, uh, but just it not clicking that Bitcoin could be that. And it wasn't until like Ethereum came along, that suddenly, uh,
0: I realized we could do a lot of really
1: interesting things.
0: So you obviously have a great background in software development. Um, you have good perspective coming into the industry and having started Ethereum. Um, so you launched the Graph. So let's talk a little bit about what the Graph is and, and what problems you guys are solving.
1: Yeah. So, so the Graph is a query and indexing protocol for Web3. Um, so, so we index data from blockchains and storage networks and make it easily available to developers over GraphQL.
0: So walk me through a sample use case for the graph. What would that uh, user be doing with the graph? What type of data would the Aquarian?
1: Yeah, so this really applies to anyone who's building smart contracts on a blockchain like Ethereum. Uh, So if you've got data in a smart contract, say you're building a marketplace protocol. And so you've got different listings of things that people want to buy and sell your front-end application is going to want to give users a way to filter, sort, paginate for specific kinds of data there. So maybe you want to find uh, the most expensive li- listings in you know, a particular city. Uh, so to do those kinds of queries, uh, you need to have indexes, and it's going to be very application-specific. And so what what we realized early on building on Ethereum is that Uh, This indexing layer was, you know, uh, just a missing part of the stack. And so, you know, people were having to roll their own kind of proprietary indexing servers. And it really broke a lot of the benefits that you would want out of building on Web3. So uh, that's why we built the graph.
0: On your website, you talk about data silos and how the graph can help remove them. Maybe for the benefit of listeners, you know, what are data silos and, and why are they important to try to eliminate Data silos are are basically what you see everywhere in Web2. Anytime you you have
1: a a database, it basically acts as a data silo. So it traps the data to where you need to have access to those physical servers if you want to access that database. And so these companies will expose sometimes that data over an API so that others can access it. But you're uh, very much at the mercy of these companies and what we've seen is, whenever they do open up APIs for third parties to access, it's usually under very stringent conditions. And if uh, you know some third-party service ends up growing and and becoming valuable enough, then typically the operator of that service will just cut off access. And so, you know, we think that one of the next big evolutions in building software systems that you know, enables humanity to coordinate and cooperate on on a much larger scale is to be able to provide open access to this data that people need to build applications, and to be able to provide both developers and users guarantees that that data is going to continue to be open and stable, and um, that you can verify that the data that you're getting back is correct. You know, all of these guarantees are, are really important so that you can build more and more systems on top of each other on a stable foundation.
0: Yeah, you know, data silos aren't talked about enough when people talk about the potential of blockchains. I mean, I think that, you know, there's so many data silos uh, day-to-day in Web2. We oftentimes, you know, users and consumers don't even know and they don't even appreciate what the potential could be if you could unlock and open up some of these data silos. So I think it'll be really interesting, um, you know, as part of the, the mission of Web3 and, and the open finance. And, and just to expand on that, That really is the model of Web2, right? And I think
1: it's just whenever you see a paradigm shift, you know, it's really where, you know, the core advantage and strategy of the previous paradigm kind of becomes commoditized and flipped on its head. And so like in Web2, if you want to build a business today, you do that by, you know, creating some kind of process around some proprietary data and then you create this moat where you restrict access and that's what gives your business value. Right? That's what gives Salesforce value. That's what gives Facebook value. That's what gives all of these Web2 companies value is that they have this data trapped and that um, they control access to that data. But if we can build software systems where everybody has access to the data, it's no longer trapped in these silos, suddenly it really kind of changes the structure of what gives software value and um, what kinds of things people can build.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. You think about, you know, Facebook owns and maintains and keeps a lot of my data, and they're monetizing that data. And I have no ability to monetize that personally. But with Web three, I can control which applications I give access to my data to. I can choose who monetizes that data and share that monetization. So whether it's through healthcare records or someone wants to build a machine learning algorithm over my data, I can give people access and read write access and. Um, so, it's going to be really interesting to see what types of new consumer facing products are built around this.
1: Yeah. And, and for me, the, the part about that that's kind of most interesting is that it's actually, I think, difficult to build applications today that have wide consumer appeal because you have to bootstrap all of these databases and networks from scratch. And um, that's actually really difficult. And so, you know, if you're working within. company like facebook it's really easy to maybe launch a new product you know you can do a new video product or a new groups product or uh, marketplace or anything else and you already have access to all of this data so you're not starting from ground zero but if we can open this up so that you know the millions of developers out there can basically start from that same uh, starting point then i think it's going to enable you know, orders of magnitude more innovation, where it's no longer happening in a handful of companies, but rather it can happen anywhere
0: in the world. So it's always good advice for early stage startups to focus on a particular customer set. So who, do, who does the graph consider their early potential customers? And how does that evolve over time? Yeah, so right now, we're really focused on existing
1: Ethereum developers. And so there, there's maybe, you know, on the order of Fifty projects in the Ethereum space that, you know, are very well known and kind of far ahead. Maybe they're well funded. We certainly want to get all of those projects uh, using the graph. We've got a lot of them already. Many of them are in the process of uh, switching over to the graph and we, we, we would like to help support the rest. Uh, and then I think about like the individual developers, There's, you know, maybe tens or maybe even, you know, a hundred thousand Ethereum developers that maybe they're, you know, hacking around nights and weekends. It might not even be their full time job, but they're going to build the cool, interesting apps of tomorrow. And so we're really kind of focused on both of those segments right now of kind of existing Ethereum developers that are already, you know, excited about the space.
0: Are you also trying to appeal to developers building on EOS or other later one smart contract platforms or just staying focused on Ethereum to
1: date? Right now, we're focused primarily on Ethereum, and that is going to be changing somewhat soon. But one of our goals for 2019 is going to be expanding to new blockchains. So as we expand to support new
0: blockchains, then we'll also be looking to support the developers on those platforms. So uh, you mentioned when you're talking about the kind of target customers that some of the more well-known, more well-funded companies building on top of Ethereum are in the process of switching to the graph. Are they switching from internal systems or are they switching from a competitor? Who do you think of as your early competitors here?
1: The only competition we've really come up against is um, teams building their own proprietary indexing servers. Any project that tries to build a usable interface on top of Ethereum is run into this problem where they can't query and load the data that they need directly to their front-end applications. And so they've had to build these centralized indexing servers uh, that essentially are monitoring the blockchain, loading the data into a database, and then serving it up over these APIs. And doing this, this work can take you know, anywhere from weeks to sometimes months uh, to do well. And then you end up with a lot of custom code that you have to maintain and you have to operate these servers yourself. And so uh, many of the teams that have started, you know, say 2017 and before have already done that work. And so I think for them, it's kind of a question of, hey, you know, we've already made these investments. At what point would it make sense to kind of switch over? And so I think everyone's going to have a different answer to that question. But you know, I think we're seeing with any new project that's starting today, it's just an absolute no-brainer to just build on the graph and get to skip over doing all of that tedious work.
0: Are there learnings you can take away, too, from some of those internal systems people built? You know, For example, if they're porting over from their internal system that they're using for querying to the graph, are they saying, hey, here are some features you guys don't have yet that we do have, and you know, can you build these, too? Or are you hearing feedback from your customers on what to build next?
1: We did get some pretty cool feedback when we first open sourced. Uh, the folks at Augur reached out to us sure. and they saw that our initial kind of block ingestion component was uh, a little rudimentary. So they, they they pointed us at theirs and they provided some suggestions. And then uh, we did a complete rewrite, which made our block and event stream a lot more reliable, you know, and hardened. And at this point, I'd say that, you know, the way that we handle reorgs, for example, um, is actually quite a bit more sophisticated than, than even what they've built. So that was a really nice benefit of open sourcing. One of the things that a few people have asked for that we've resisted is anything that enables kind of like side effects and non-deterministic behavior. When you're just kind of building an ad hoc uh, server, it's very easy to just go ahead and make third-party API calls and, and not think about um, what kind of uh, side effects your, your code has. One thing that we've been really careful about doing from the beginning is architecting the graph so that this indexing code can run on a decentralized network. And um, we really care about these properties of immutability and determinism. Which we think is is core to building software on a solid foundation, and so it takes a little bit longer to build up a stack that maintains these guarantees all the way up. And it would certainly be easier to take shortcuts and you know give people escape hatches to you know just you know you can call out to whatever services you want. But uh, we've been very careful to not do that, and so far I'd say that it's been possible to to really build most of the types of applications that people have wanted, even with those constraints.
0: So what is the business model for the graph? And are you guys setting up the business model to be paid directly in ETH as people do different queries? Or are you setting up to be paid in US dollars or a mix of the two?
1: Long term, uh, the business model for the graph is to build out a decentralized network uh, that has a token as part of the network and um, the company Um, You know, has, uh, you know, some percentage of those tokens. We are going to have a pay tier for our hosted service. So we just launched a hosted service in our Graph Explorer at Graph Day on uh, January 25th. We launched with seven great launch partners and many more projects are, you know, jumping on every day. We are likely to have some kind of paid service for that, but really our focus is on building out this decentralized network. So so the way that works is anyone will be able to run a node and get paid fees for doing the indexing and query processing. And so those fees are earned in, for example, EtherDAI. And then the token is used more as a work token for those nodes to provide economic security to the network. And also for staking on these kind of data sets to help better allocate resources on the network.
0: Were you guys debating different business models, debating more of a SaaS model versus the more decentralized token, you know, work token model?
1: No, I think when we decided to work on this problem, I think it was because we were really interested in, you know, this idea of building up a fully decentralized protocol stack. It just seemed to us to be just a much more exciting and better way to run software. So, you know, certainly we come from, you know, the SaaS world, and um, you know, there's these problems that I, I just described, you know, with like data silos and you know, the the kind of the SaaS business model where really the incentive is, you know, to have proprietary code, you know, data silos, creating these moats, locking users in. And when that was the only option, it was fine. You know, we're practical and, you know, you want to start a business, you have some change that you want to create in the world. You know, starting a business is a great way to affect that change. And, you know, if if these are the models that allow you to grow, then, you know, we were fine with it. But now seeing that there is this new paradigm that's possible where, you know, the code can be open, users don't need to be locked in. And rather you can focus on your slice of value and of the stack and building that one protocol really well so that the reason that people choose to use it is not because they're locked in, but rather because you've basically designed a crypto economic system that perfectly balances the interests of all of its participants. That to us just seemed like a much more exciting uh, way of distributing software.
0: So you mentioned the Graph Day. You know, let's talk a little about that. You don't usually hear seed stage companies hosting a day like this, having your customers come, talking about launch partners and new features. I think this speaks a lot to how open you guys are and how, how good you guys are generating community and fostering that community. So what was the intention with Graph Day? how to it go? How was your keynote speech? There were a few reasons for it. Initially, oh.
1: it was because we'd been working for uh, close to a year on uh, some of these products and we were really proud of what we were building and we wanted to have what we considered to be like a a nice send-off for our baby. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, that was the initial impetus. But then as we started thinking about how to like, you know, plan this day, it dawned on us that it is this kind of strange period for the industry where after being in a bear market for kind of over a year, you know, you'd start to see some sentiment shifts, people becoming more skeptical about Web3 and maybe kind of like turning away from it a little bit. And so we thought that actually it'd be a, you know, a really good point in time for us to come in and really maybe try to drive the narrative around where are we you know, along this path towards building out this new platform, recognizing what parts aren't ready yet and still need to be built and um, kind of lighting a path forward to say that, you know, the vision's alive and well. And it's actually, you know, if you look at the development that's, that's happening by projects all around the space, you know, it's never been more vibrant. The future's never been brighter. And uh, we wanted to kind of tell that story. So uh, we invited a bunch of projects to come speak uh, that are working on different protocols and dApps. And we invited the community out, and it was, uh, I think, a a really successful event. Uh, So we we gave a a keynote, uh, which you can find on YouTube if you just search for Graph Day Keynote. And then uh, Brandon gave a research talk where um, he described a lot of new details about our decentralized network. Um, So uh, between that and launching the Hosted Service and Graph Explorer, those were our large announcements for the day.
0: A lot of people came into crypto because um, they were frustrated with platform risk. So developers built it on top of Facebook, developers built it on top of Twitter, um, you know, Yelp built it on top of Google, and then suddenly the platform decides to change the rules. You guys obviously are built on top of Ethereum. We're in Ethereum one, effectively 1.0 today. Ethereum has plans to upgrade to 2.0, which will take somewhere between one and three years. Is there any platform risk in that, you know, in, in, as they change our architecture and improve their architecture, um, what does that mean for the graph? Do you have visibility into how it impacts you guys? And are you kind of planning ahead for that?
1: Yeah, certainly. So we see a multi-blockchain future, and I think Ethereum is very likely to play a very core part in that. But I expect there to be many different kinds of blockchains. And I think that's needed for scalability and for, you know, there's different trade-offs that different applications need to make. It is an interesting question around here around this, where one of the benefits that I think we'd like to be able to provide with Web3 is is this, like, stability, right? So being able to build software um, with some guarantees that there are going to be no breaking changes. And so software that you write today will be able to continue to run, you know, forever or as long as there are users for that software. And it's a little bit tricky to provide these types of guarantees in a platform that's so nascent because obviously things are still developing and and maybe we do need to make kind of breaking changes. I think that the foundation that we're building the software on now will allow us to create this stable foundation. So building on things like immutable data structures and deterministic computations, these are you know really kind of key parts where APIs themselves Accrete and so they grow instead of being mutative and changing, you know, under your feet. And so, I think we're, we're building this stuff with the right principles, but there is still going to be some level of churn. Uh, now, one of the goals that we have for the graph is to create this abstraction layer for applications where um, if you're building on top of a protocol and you're building it on the graph. What you care about is the data model. So there's a schema that defines how to access that data, and I think it's much easier to be thoughtful and stable in a schema than it is to be stable in you know all of the implementation details of a complex system like a blockchain.
0: How, how big of a market do you think this is for the graph? And second part of the question is, you know what's the big vision for the graph?
1: This this would maybe be like a controversial statement, but I really think that all software should eventually move to Web3. And I think today it's easy to look at the existing blockchain designs and say, you know, this doesn't scale. And certainly block times are slow and transactions are expensive. But I think we should expect to see big improvements here. And when you think about, you know, most applications... They tend to be very read heavy and actually not very write heavy. And, you know, with these rights, you'd like to have guarantees around atomicity and, and you'd like to have more and more software that can work together. And so having this kind of consensus layer, you know, that, that can be used across trust boundaries, I think is worth the additional cost. And I actually think that the cost is not as high as people would think because you have to remember, at the end of the day, the things that are most valuable in, in this world are you know, human time and attention. You know, It's these types of costs. The actual cost of running computation, the actual cost of silicon and electricity is not that high, right? Moore's Law has made it exponentially faster and cheaper. And so I think it'd be the wrong thing to try to optimize for the computation cost, as opposed to, um, you know, human scalability costs. So really, I, I see in the long term, all software moving over to um, these types of protocols. And so I think that makes the markets pretty big. And so, so long term, the vision for the graph is to index all of this structured data and to essentially be one place that developers can come to find all of the data that they would like to include in their applications because that data is well organized it's easily searchable um, you can construct these queries and then pull that data directly into your front-end applications and the world that we see is one where um, you essentially have specialists that work on individual protocols that are coming up with the rules and how these actual like protocols should function and then you have, you know, many different applications that can be built on top. You know, would certainly see a world where there's millions of developers building on this that can individually or in small teams easily build applications that tap into this kind of global machine of all of these protocols that are open and um, easily accessible to them.
0: Um, so I definitely recommend our listeners checking out your keynote speech from the Graph Day what, what are some other ways that listeners, developers, entrepreneurs can follow the progress of the graph and can potentially work with you?
1: Yeah, we, we make uh, frequent posts on Medium. So we're Graph Protocol on Medium. And also Twitter is our, our biggest distribution channel. So we're at Graph Protocol on Twitter.
0: And tell us a little bit about your fundraising. You know, obviously, Multicoin had a nice post about their seed investment in the graph. A little bit about your seed funding and then kind of you know, future funding for the company. Will there be an ICO? Will there be more traditional equity rounds going forward? Yeah, so, so Multicoin read
1: about our, wrote about our seed round. Um, they've been really wonderful to work with. Uh, moving forward, uh, we are working on um, a token as part of our decentralized protocol. It's something that we wouldn't look to launch until we've built out the full decentralized network. And what that looks like, I think, is kind of too early to tell. Uh, Certainly, I think, you know, the ICO wave of 2017 feels like a distant past. You don't see a lot of that happening now for good reason. We've seen, um, you know, the SEC kind of getting more active. And it would certainly help on the regulatory side to have more clarity. And so that's something that we hope to get at some point. And then um, what this actually looks like in terms of is is there a token sale? Is it something where we're selling tokens directly to node operators or to developers? These are all questions that we still have and um, we're going to be looking into.
0: So let's talk a little bit about the crypto ecosystem. You're very close to it and someone that's well-respected in the space you know, first off, what are are some potential catalysts in your mind that could help jumpstart the crypto markets? And that could be some of the fundamentals, you know, driving more developers to the space, uh, more transaction volume on chain, you know, kind of more symbiotic projects being built. Yeah, I,
1: I think it's going to have to be fundamentals driven. It's actually kind of insane how large the crypto markets got on top of, you know, very early technology. And so I think, you know, before we can see another big excitement cycle, I think we need to see things being more real. Mm -hmm. And so that's going to look like some improvements in blockchain scalability and some early use cases that have more users. Uh, So, you know, this year, for example, we're going to see a new class of protocols come out in Polkadot and Cosmos and, um, you know, other blockchain platforms like Definity. I'm really excited to see what what these projects can do for scalability, I think another big piece uh, that we need to kind of improve on is just UX for DApps. I think that's a huge thing that's uh, barring adoption, and so with things like meta transactions and other things that people are doing to kind of make the onboarding process smoother for users, I think uh, we'll have the the ingredients necessary for at least some killer DApps to come out, and I think you know, a combination of that. And then, you know, normal kind of capital market cycles could create conditions for, for people to get excited again.
0: You touch a lot of different projects in the space. Um, what, what are some of the projects in crypto that could be early stage, could be later stage, that you're personally most excited about?
1: Um, so on the
0: protocol side,
1: i uh, really excited by what the folks at Polkadot are building. They've got one of the best teams in the space. Uh They're consistently shipping really high-quality software. We also uh, use a lot of the same technologies as them. So we're both using Rust and Wasm and and a lot of similar tech. And I think what they released this year uh, is going to be really great to allow different dApps to each build their own like dApp chains and then kind of interconnect them together in Polkadot. Uh, So I think that technology is really exciting. Some of the stuff at the application layer, I think uh, both Augur and Gnosis are doing uh, really interesting things. I think this idea of kind of like conditional tokens with uh, these prediction markets where you have different events that have different probabilities and trying to um, model out how the outcome of certain events can then propagate to impact the outcome of other events and just trying to like model predictions for all kinds of things in the world is, is really interesting. And certainly we're seeing a lot of great activity in the open finance space yeah. in protocols like Dharma, Compound, you know, decentralized exchanges, Maker. Um, so that's all stuff that really excites me. Do you own crypto assets personally? I do. I did not sell anything at the top.
0: (laughs) What are some predictions you have for how this ecosystem continues to evolve over the next year or two?
1: I I think it's not going to be a smooth line. We're still very much in the experimentation phase. And so I think having all of these competing, you know, layer one protocols with wildly different architectures... And then different DApps building on top. I, I think it's going to be chaotic. Let's say in that um, things will evolve in multiple different ways, in parallel, and compete, and uh, hopefully eventually converge. But uh, I would expect to be surprised. I
0: mean, some of the killer apps or use cases for crypto today has definitely been store value, you know, remittances, trading, and speculation. And the big winners have been some of the later one protocols and exchanges. Do you have any visibility into what could be some of the next the next waves of killer use cases and apps for for crypto?
1: I think the one that's most poised for success over the next year or two is certainly open finance. Yep, and yeah, um, I agree completely. Whether that's in the U.S. or or abroad and emerging markets, I think you're starting to see things like Maker and uh, Dharma like work. And so um, I think there, there are still some things around, let's say, um, you know, security, how how comfortable can people feel holding large amounts of money in these sure. protocols that are still kind of new. And so I think it's going to be maybe a slowish ramp, but it, especially you can imagine that you're if you're in like, you know, developed nations and already you're dealing with a lot of like currency volatility and having access to some of these open financial services, would be much more of a no-brainer, and then even in the U.S., I think you've seen that you know with younger people, you know we've been burned by banks. Like I do not enjoy using my bank, and the idea that um, you know I could have a much more digital interface towards you know storing my wealth and um, just accessing financial services is pretty exciting for me.
0: So this is the final question we'd like to ask our guests. Um, the total crypto market is 110 billion dollars today. Do you think we'll end 2019 above this or below this or somewhere somewhere in line? Uh,
1: I, I generally try not to speculate on prices, and um, but I'm I'm generally optimistic.
0: What's the timing of when you guys will th- you, you'll launch a decentralized version of the graph and have work tokens and have node operators? And
1: one one thing I didn't mention is at Graph Day, Brandon Ramirez actually. Um, released and open-sourced the specs for what we're calling our hybrid decentralized network. In this uh, version of the network, the economics are decentralized, so anyone can come run a node and get paid to provide the indexing and query processing services to the network, but you are still trusting, you know, the graph protocol, the company, for uh, security. So uh, we'll be running a centralized fisherman service and a centralized Payment Channel Hub, but we think this is a, a really good stepping stone to decentralizing the network. The specs for this are open source. You can check it out on our research repo on GitHub. Uh, we'd love to get feedback from any researchers or people versed in in crypto economics, and uh, we're going to be rolling out some of that software later this year.
0: What's it been like hiring in crypto land? Have you does the amount of inbound interest to join a company like The Graph, does it kind of track and mirror the prices, uh, the public prices? Or have you seen steady increases as there's been more visibility into crypto and more excitement around it? Yeah, I've actually seen it
1: become easier to hire since the hype went down. I think uh, you know the hype was, in some ways, could kind of attract the wrong kinds of people. Yep. And I think that a lot of people that saw the promise of blockchains were actually turned off. By, you know, maybe what they would perceive to be as, you know, schemy, hype-y behaviors. And once things have calmed down, you've actually seen these people kind of feel more comfortable coming in and saying, hey, there's actually some really exciting work being done here.
0: The key takeaways from today's episode are, one, getting data off blockchains today is difficult. Two, the Graph is a decentralized platform for querying data. That uses GraphQL, a query language developed and open source by Facebook. And three, the graph can help eliminate data silos by providing a powerful API to get exactly the data you need in a single request, seamlessly traversing and combining multiple data sources. Thank you for listening to the show. We're trying to make the crypto ecosystem more mainstream and welcoming. So if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a five-star review in iTunes and share this with one person you know who is trying to learn more about crypto technology. You can reach me on Twitter at Zachary DeWitt or email me at zach at wing.bc.